0: Good morning, First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. I hope you're all having just the best of weeks this week. Uh, if you are quarantining home or staying home or you're just uh, staying home during all the pandemic, I just want you to know how much we miss you, how much we long for you to be here soon. Um, if you have your copy of God's Word in front of you, and I hope that you do, go ahead and open that up to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, We are going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. We're going to be reading that. Last week, we really looked at verses 13 and 14, but we're going to return to it this week and kind of look at the rest in verses 15 through 18. One of the greatest passages uh, in the Bible that provides such a wonderful comfort to the hearts of God's people. And So, hopefully you have your Bible out and with you. Here we are going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18, the Bible says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, uh, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers, the flower fades. uh, But the the, the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's go to Lord and thank him for his word now. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to worship. We thank you for this, your word. And we ask that you would speak to us now through it. Father, we're grateful that you've decided to speak to us through your word, that you've given us these 66 books of the Bible so that we may know your heart, your will, your plan, and your desires. So, Father, we ask now that you would open our eyes so that we might see the wonderful truths that are contained in your uh, word. Father, that you would just not cause us not only to know these truths, but to grow and live by these truths. Lord, may your spirit work mightily uh, in the lives of all that hear this message through the proclamation of your word. That is our prayer, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it okay for a Christian to grieve over the loss of a Christian loved one? If you're interested in the answer to that question, hopefully you paid attention last week, and I beg you to pay attention this week, because Paul is writing about those who are asleep. Uh, Last Lord's Day, we identified who he's referring to and those who are asleep. He's referring to Christians who have experienced physical death before the return of the Lord Jesus. Uh, They're not sleeping spiritually spiritually. Uh, He's referring to them sleeping physically. So he's referring to those who have had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They place their faith in him and then they have experienced physical death before his return. The Bible refers to these people as those who are asleep. Uh, what's asleep, again, is their body. Their soul and their spirit, the material part, has gone to be in the presence of the Lord. And so when Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians after he departed from them, it had only really been about a year since he left them. And there were some members of the Thessalonian church who had passed away. And that shook up these young, new believers. They knew that these Christians would have their bodies raised from the dead, but somehow they thought that the Christians who passed away before the Lord's return were going to miss out on Jesus coming back again for his church. The Thessalonians knew that Jesus Christ was coming soon. According to chapter 1, verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians, they were looking for their Savior to come from heaven to rescue them from the wrath to come. They knew that if they were alive when the Lord Jesus returns, uh, that they would be participants in that great event. But what they didn't know... But what was going to happen to those who had already died before the Lord Jesus returned? Would they miss out? And the end result of that lack of knowledge is that they were experiencing hopeless sorrow. They were grieving hopelessly. And so here we are. Uh, he, they're, they're grieving hopelessly over those who have died before the Lord returns. They're, they're struggling. And, and so Paul writes this passage to relieve them of that hopeless sorrow that was characterizing them. And so he writes these words and, and praise God that he does again. Because these words throughout the ages have provided Christians with tremendous comfort Uh, They have been so wonderful, especially to comfort those who've experienced the loss of a loved one. So last week, we looked and saw about how the future of these dead Christians can be known, Uh, the future about their, uh, the, the truth about their future can be known, that it is practical, it is glorious, but what I want us to see this morning, what we're going to spend the majority of our time on this morning, is that the future of those who have died in Christ Uh, has actually been planned. The future of those who have died in Christ has been planned. And Paul reveals this marvelous plan in verses 15 through 17 of our text. I want you to notice, first of all, the source of the plan. Who is responsible for this plan? Here we have the source of the plan. Look at verse 15 with me. Paul says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. See, he's affirming something that he had already told them that these Christians were going to be brought through Christ back to heaven. And the way he's affirming that is by saying, listen, what I'm revealing to you, it doesn't come from me. See, the source of the plan is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul is saying, listen, I'm just not making this stuff up to make you feel better. This is not just something you'd read in a comic book somewhere. This is true information, and the source is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And so, uh, Paul says, I'm saying this to you, this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now, that phrase, word of the Lord, many people believe that what Paul's referring to is something that Jesus had previously said uh, during the Gospels or in the Gospels at some point. But I don't believe that's what Paul's referring to here. I think what Paul's referring to here is a prophetic word from God given to one of his apostles. So when you look at the early church, the foundation of the church are apostles and prophets. They received revelation from God that was given to the church. And so Paul is saying this information comes from the Lord through one of his prophets. And now it's coming to you Thessalonians, and today it comes to us through the word. That's the source. The source is not human. The source is divine. And let me just throw this in there. Uh, There are a lot of people who claim to have or are giving prophetic words today. If you're looking for a prophetic word today, let me just encourage you. What I want you to do is I want you to come to my office and I can give you a word directly from the Lord. Of course, what I mean by that is you can come to my office and I will open the Bible to you and read it to you. Uh, There really are no New Testament prophets in the sense of Paul today. New Testament apostles in the sense of Paul today, no way. Uh, How do I know that? I know that because Paul states about the church in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 that the church has having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now hear me, I don't know much about construction. I don't know much about architecture. In fact, there's There's a lot of things that I don't know much about, but I I do know that you don't build the foundation on the 21st floor. You build the foundation on the first floor and then you build a top of that foundation. And so let me just encourage you, if you ever go to church so-and-so or you're listening on the radio and you hear a prophetic word from the Lord from apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so, just know they're not using that term scripturally. In fact, you want a prophetic word? You want a word from the Lord? Here's what you do. Open your Bible and read it that's the prophetic word of the lord that you need there i just threw that in for free Uh, that won't cost you uh, any extra Uh, And so the source of the plan is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul moves on in the middle of verses 15 to 17 now uh, to talk to us no longer about the source of the plan, but the statement of the plan. He's going to state some wonderful words for us that are going to lay out this plan very clearly. These words that have again at their source none other than the Lord Jesus Christ given to the apostle Paul that is now given to the church Of Thessalonica. Uh, When the statement of the plan is given, he starts by telling them about the participants of the plan. Uh, We notice the participants in the plan. Who is it that is going to participate in this plan that is spoken of? Well, Paul, in the last part of verse 15, is going to introduce two groups. These are the individuals that will participate in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look at the middle part of verse 15 there, Paul says, For we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul, right off the bat, gives us two groups. And the first group he tells us about are those who are alive and remain. Notice, he says, until the coming of the Lord. Uh, He's referring to there's going to be, in fact, one group that's going to be alive. And, of course, he's referring to those who are going to be physically alive when the Lord returns. But did you notice something? Did you notice that Paul included himself in those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord? Why would he do that? We know the Apostle Paul now is part of those who have fallen asleep physically, but why would he include himself as we who are alive and remain? I, I believe not only it's because he was alive when he wrote this, but I believe it's also because that Paul fully believed that the Lord Jesus could return during his lifetime. In fact, he lived with that expectation day in and day out that at any moment the Lord Jesus would return. Certainly, I believe that he believed that Lord Jesus was going to return during his lifetime. That's what he taught the Thessalonians, and that's why they were waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. Paul believed that Jesus Christ would come at any moment. Even though Jesus did not come during Paul's lifetime, even though uh, in several instances the reality of physical death seemed more like a possibility, that was his expectation. So Paul introduces the first group as those who are alive when Jesus comes. But then he mentions a second group in the same portion of Scripture. Those who have fallen asleep. Those are the same individuals we read about in verse 13. Those Christians who have experienced physical death. Those are the participants in the plan. So two groups, those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, and those who have fallen asleep. But Paul moves from the participants in the plan to the particulars in the plan. He moves from the participants to the particulars. He wants us to see this wonderful plan that God has come up with for those who are asleep in Jesus Christ. Uh, Notice what Paul stresses in the last part of verse 15. That is, uh, when it comes to those who are alive when Christ comes and those who are dead when Christ comes, Paul says those who are alive Will not precede those who are dead. Now, that might not strike you as important. It might not hit you in any way, shape, or form. But remember the concern of the Thessalonians. They were thinking that the dead Christians would not be able to participate in the coming of Christ. So, Paul is cleaning that up, wiping away that faulty thinking. He is saying, Thessalonians, certainly dead Christians will participate. He said even in the last part of verse 15 that that those who have died in Christ will have priority over the Christians who are alive when Jesus comes. That is how much of a role they will have when Jesus comes again. Paul says strongly that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means in any way, shape, form, or fashion precede those who are asleep. When Jesus comes again, it is the ones who have died in Christ who will have the priority. And that is particularly seen when we examine the particulars of the plan. Uh, Because that next verse, verse 16, starts with the word for, but really could be translated the word because. So how do we know that those who have died in Christ will have priority over those who are alive and remain? Well, look at what it says in verse 16. Because or for the Lord himself will descend. That's how we know. The first particular of the plan is that the Lord will descend from heaven. The Lord will descend from heaven. The head of the church The one who died on Calvary's cross and paid the penalty for our sins that we might have eternal life. The Lamb of God will descend. And he's not going to send some some angel or he's not going to send some ambassador. But the Lord himself will leave heaven, will come down. And that just lets us know how much the Lord loves his church. Uh, He not only bought the church with his blood... But he loves the church. He nourishes the church. He cares for the church, the people of God. And he loves us so much that he is going to come back himself to gather his children and bring them home. He is descending from heaven and he will be accompanied by a shout, by the voice of an archangel, and by the trumpet of God. Let's take each of those really quickly in turn. See, the idea behind this word shout is not that Jesus is going to come back hollering. That's not what we mean when we talk about that. Uh, This is a term that speaks of a military idea of one who is giving a command to those in subjection to that individual. It's an order. It's a command. And so the Lord Jesus will descend and accompanying him on that descent will be a shout. Now, I don't know exactly what it is he is going to say, but I'd like to use my imagination if I could. So don't take this to the bank. But I'd like to imagine what is going to happen is going to be something similar to what happened to Lazarus, what he said to Lazarus in John chapter 11. You remember that story of Lazarus being raised from the dead? We looked at it a little bit last week, uh, but Lazarus has died. His body has been in the tomb for four days and it's starting to stink and rot. What happened in John eleven forty three? The Bible says, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And and you've heard it said, he didn't just say come forth, because as you know, then everybody would have come out of the grave. But no, he said Lazarus, a particular individual, come forth and Lazarus came forth. My imagination, and again, it's just my imagination, leads me to think that somehow the Lord, when he descends from heaven, he will descend with a shout and basically the content of his shout will be Get up, Uh, the dead in Christ, get up, rise up. He might call them by name, he might call them as a group, but the shout is going to be an order, a command. The Lord coming down from heaven will be accompanied by a shout. He's also going to be accompanied, as we saw, by the voice of an archangel. Now again, Paul doesn't give us a lot of detail. Uh, The archangel is, is simply the first or chief angel. The only time we see the archangel mentioned by name in all of the Bible is in Jude verse 9 and it's the name of Michael. But it doesn't mean that he has been or is the only one because in Daniel chapter 10 verse 13, Michael is referred to as one of the chief princes. Uh, Regardless, the Lord Jesus, when he returns, will be accompanied by the voice of the archangel. And then the third thing we see that he'll be accompanied by is the trumpet of God. In the Old Testament, the trumpet was often a symbol that signified the presence of the Lord. So the trumpet of God can be known as God's trumpet. I believe that that's the source. God is the source. And I also believe that this is more a symbol or an announcement of the Lord's coming. It's similar to the way Paul used it in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ Will rise. I believe that's a uh, the same idea. So there's going to be the sound of a trumpet, and it is going to have an impact on the dead in Christ. Uh, Christ the Lord will descend from heaven, and so that's the first particular of the plan. The Lord will descend. Uh, what's the second particular of the plan? Well, that is that the dead in Christ will rise. There is going to be a resurrection of dead Christians. The dead in Christ will rise. That's what Paul clearly says in the last part of verse 16. Look at the last part of verse 16 with me. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now instead of referring to them as those who are asleep or those who have fallen asleep, now they are referred to as the dead in Christ. These are Christians who have physically died in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, then the dead in Christ will rise. And he stresses first that he is doing that to substantiate the fact that he had earlier said that living Christians will not precede dead Christians when Jesus comes. Their bodies, their physical bodies, hear me, will be raised from the dead. And, and I have had this question before, and let me just say, I don't care if the body's decayed. I don't care if the body has been burned up. I don't care what happens to the physical body. The God who created the body will be able to raise that body. Okay, He is able to do that, so go ahead and get cremated if that's what you want to do. I'm not saying that you should do that, but I'm saying you can do that, and he will be able to raise that body from the dead. That is what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus comes. The dead in Christ will rise first. Their bodies will be raised. They'll be reunited, that soul and spirit that is already in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, that is good news. Now, that may not sound like good news, but it is really good news. It is a comfort to the heart of believers, especially believers who have experienced the loss of a Christian loved one. Uh, that my loved one is not going to miss out on the plan of God in the future. Uh, God has already planned their future. And what they're going to do in the future is that body is going to get on up out of the ground and be reunited due to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, the the news even gets better than that. That would have been enough. Paul has already given us enough so that we would not have hopeless grief. My loved one is not going to miss out on the return of Jesus. But Paul goes on. He says in verse 17, the first word is then. And that word then, it, it does not connote a long period of time. In fact, I want you to hear that word then as the shortest possible time imaginable. Uh, that He says, then what will happen? Then living Christians will be caught up. Living Christians. Then living Christians will be caught up. That's the next particular of the plan. See, he's already dealt with dead Christians. They will be raised and experience a resurrection, but now he focuses on living Christians. And so look again at verse 17 with me. He says, then we who are alive and remain Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Did you see that? Living Christians are included in the plan. See, when Jesus comes for his church, there will be, again, two groups. Those who are physically dead and those who are physically alive. Those who are physically dead, when Christ returns, their body is going to raise up out of the ground and be reunited with the soul and spirit that is already in the presence of the Lord Jesus. For those who are alive, we will simply be caught up together with them. Well, who's the them? The the previously dead Christians. So the living Christian will be caught up together with the dead Christian and the two of them will meet the Lord in the air. And that brings us finally uh, to the third particular of or the fourth particular of the plan, excuse me. And that is all believers will meet the Lord. So we see the Lord will descend, the dead in Christ will rise first, living Christians will be caught up, and then finally, all believers will meet the Lord, whether they are dead Christians or living Christians. So what's the destiny of living Christians and those who have died before the return of Christ? See, that main verb is caught up. It's literally snatched or seized. And it's likely a play on words that Paul is using. It was common in non-biblical literature of the time to speak of death, snatching someone away from life. So Paul hijacks that word and he actually says, we're going to be snatched away from the final enemy of death. In the clouds is what he says. It's, and I want you to hear this. In the clouds is, is most likely commun- not communicating uh, a location. It's more likely communicating the means. I don't believe that Paul is saying we are going to meet Jesus in a cumulus cloud. See, the Greek preposition in, E-N, is capable of communicating not only the location, but also the means. Uh, Since Paul has already communicated location at the end of this sentence, in the air, that's where we will meet him. Uh, Most likely in this prepositional phrase or clause, he's communicating how that's going to happen. In the clouds or by means of the clouds. Now that may seem really strange to us. Uh, Please don't picture moisture condensed together and then we hop on top of it like we're playing Mario and there's a little shuttle going from here to there in an escalator. Uh, I don't believe that is what Paul intends to communicate here. But throughout the scriptures, I want you to notice something. The clouds represent the visible appearing of the Lord. In Exodus, the cloud descends on Mount Sinai and the Lord appears to his people. In Exodus chapter 13:21, it says, "And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way." In Exodus chapter 16:10, it says, "Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud." Uh, In Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 17, it says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountains, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. When God descends on the holy tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus, it is in a cloud. The Lord appears in a cloud over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in Leviticus chapter 16. I mean, over and over and over again, Uh, the ark being brought into the temple. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And it's not even just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, in the Transfiguration. In Luke chapter 9, verses 35, it says, And a voice came out of the cloud. Likewise, it would seem that Paul does not have a visible mass of condensed water vapor floating in the atmosphere in view when he's talking about this here, but the presence and power of God. We are not going to meet Jesus in a cumulus cloud. Instead, we will be snatched away from death and judgment by the presence and power of God. God is the one, according to verse 14, who is in our same passage, who will bring those who sleep in Jesus. Likewise, in verse 17, it is God who will bring all believers, the dead in Christ, and those who are alive and remain together to meet him in the air. Now we got to go to that next phrase, right? When we talk about meet him in the air, what does that word meet refer to? What does it mean? Well, the word to meet is a purpose clause. Stay with me here. So, Paul is saying this is why we are going to be snatched away so we can meet the Lord in the air. That's the purpose. So as some of you might ask, why are we being taken up into the air? Is that closer to heaven? Well, that's debatable in and of itself. But the air doesn't seem to be referring to the heavens or the earth, but kind of the in-between. He's on his way down and we're on our way up and we're meeting him there. And when you come to understand the word that Paul uses here, the word meet, I think the explanation of what's happening here is actually quite simple. Uh, The term translated to meet was used to describe uh, a delegation of leading citizens outside the city in order to meet a dignitary or a noble person and to escort them in on the final leg of their journey back into the city. That is the word that's used. So, for instance, the same phrase is used at the end of Romans. When the Christians in Rome hear that Paul is being brought as a prisoner to Rome, they go out to meet him. They go as far as three taverns. I don't know how far that is. Sounds like quite a ways out, I suppose. They go out, meet him there, and then they bring him back into Rome. They don't go out to meet him somewhere and then go someplace else. They're escorting him back in. Trying to give you hints about some of my eschatology, and if you've listened to the sermons this week, I'm sure you know where I'm going with that. Listen, I'm convinced that this is what's in view here in this text. The saints of God, both those who have died and those who are still alive, who are together by the power of God, are taken to meet their great King and Savior, Jesus Christ, as He descends to consummate His work of redemption. That's the picture, and it's a glorious picture. I I would say it's pictured best as a reunion. That's what's happening here in verse 17. Uh, But more importantly, all Christians who make up the church are being joined and reunited to the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is not going to be like any kind of reunion that can take place on earth. That's going to compare to that great reunion, no. Now, of course... There are certain details that I have not covered that you may have wondered that I'm, why I'm not covering. Uh, Christians who are living, of course, their bodies have to be changed because our bodies aren't suited for heaven. Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. We've got a sermon on that. I believe Brother Brock preached that sermon uh, on, uh, uh, in our study in Resurrected Hope. Uh, but those are the particulars of the plan. And that's what we want to cover here. That the Lord will descend, the dead in Christ will rise first... The church will be reunited with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The living Christians will be caught up and all believers will meet the Lord in the air. Okay, there's one more area of the plan we've got to cover. And that is the summation of the plan. I want you to see the summation of the plan. Because at the end of verse 17, Paul gives us just some absolutely wonderful words. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Did you hear that? We shall always be with the Lord. Now, friends, let me tell you something. If that phrase doesn't mean anything to you, then I don't think the Lord means anything to you. Uh, Something's wrong there if that doesn't mean something to you. Paul is saying, listen, Thessalonians, when the Lord returns on that great event, we will always be in his presence spatially. (laughs) meaning I am going to be in the very presence of the Lord. There will be a face-to-face relationship between me and my Lord. And so when Paul says we will always be with the Lord, what he means there is that there will never be a time from the moment of His return where we as believers will be separated from Him spatially. What an amazing grace that God would save me, a wretched sinner, and make me part of his family and allow me to spend eternity in his presence. And friends, if this is is our future as Christians, that we are going to spend eternity with the Lord, then, then wouldn't it make sense that we would have a passion or desire to spend time with him now? See, I believe that, that you can't get excited about spending eternity with the Lord Jesus. And the reason some of us might not be able to get excited about spending time with the Lord Jesus forever and eternity is because we we are not excited about spending time with Him now. Christians, we will always be with the Lord. And for the true Christian, that should stir your heart up into absolute joy. And so, okay, we've looked at how the future of these dead Christians can be known, how it's profitable, how it's glorious, and we have spent a lot of time examining how the future of these Christians has been planned. But I want to leave you with one final comfort that Paul leaves us with in verse 18. And that is the future of these dead Christians is comforting. It's comforting. Look what he says in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. Console one another. Minister to one another. With what? With a glass of wine? With some Valium? With some pop psychology? With what? With these words. With the word of God. Friends, you do not have to grieve as those who have no hope. Paul says, take the truths that I have taught you here and take these truths and comfort one another with them. Go back and forth encouraging one another with these marvelous words. And so I'll ask you the question that I asked at the beginning Is it okay for a Christian to grieve the loss of a Christian loved one? And hear me when it comes to the death of a Christian, believers are not permitted to grieve as unbelievers, there will be grief. We will grieve, but we will not have a hopeless grief. I mean, how can we hopelessly grieve in the fact, knowing the fact that God will bring with Christ those individuals back to heaven? How can we hopelessly grieve knowing that the dead in Christ will have priority at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can we grieve when we know the Lord Jesus is going to return and the dead in Christ will rise first? How can we have hopeless grief in knowing that the Lord Jesus will bring dead Christians to meet him in the air and they will always be with the Lord? How can we grieve in a hopeless sense here? Oh, yes, there will be grief as we miss those whom we love so dearly. There will be sadness in heart. There will be tears shed. But our grief is not a hopeless grief. And it's because of this wonderful plan that God has for the dead in Christ. Let me encourage you Christians, let me encourage you here, learn this text, study this text, meditate on this text of scripture. Make sure that you can articulate what it's saying. You know why? Because verse 18 is an imperative. We are actually commanded to comfort one another with these words. How? marvelous and wonderful and merciful is our God in providing us such a tremendous comfort in our hour of grief. Praise Him. Celebrate Him. Give thanks to Him for He is certainly good and He is coming back for His people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, Lord, we thank You for this portion of Scripture It is indeed comforting. Thank you that it makes possible that when we lose a loved one to death who's a Christian, that we don't have to be participants in hopeless grief. We can rejoice and be thankful knowing that you have a plan for them, that they would participate in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that it will result in all of us being with Jesus forevermore. Not just like you're here with us now spiritually, but spatially we will be in your presence. What a marvelous, wonderful, magnificent truth it is to know that we as finite human beings will spend eternity with our Creator. That wherever He goes, we'll go. Thank you for such comforting words and truths such as these. Minister, Father, to those right now whose hearts are heavy as they're thinking about a Christian loved one who has passed. Lord, we know that the thought of a loved one who is a Christian can bring sorrow to our hearts and souls, but we're grateful that we are not hopelessly grieving. We just miss them, Lord. There's such a wonderful part of our life gone, and we miss that. Lord, we thank you, though, for the gospel that you've, you've saved them, that they are in your presence and they have a wonderful future ahead of them. Lord, help us to comfort one another with these marvelous words. Equip us to be able to do that. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The application and the invitation this, this morning is primarily for the church. Friends, you, you know if you're grieving as those who have no hope, or at least I hope you know, I just—if I, this doesn't bring comfort to your heart, that may be um, that may be because you're hopelessly grieving. It may be evidence that you're hopelessly grieving, and if that's the case, man, it's—it's it's such a difficult topic to talk about. But church family, um, this should characterize us as Christians: that yeah, we grieve. There's there's sorrow, absolutely there's sorrow, but make sure it's not hopeless. Make sure that you are provided with this comfort. And maybe you are listening to this and you're thinking, I've got zero comfort when it comes to the death of anyone or anything because I don't know where I belong with the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, if that's you, know that 2,000 years ago, um, though you have sinned against him and broken his law, and he is holy, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on on an old rugged cross for the sins of his people. Um, where you deserve death and punishment and hell and wrath, God gave that punishment to Jesus on behalf of his children. If you would but repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, confess that you are not God, but Jesus is Lord, and turn by faith to believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf, that you can be saved. If we can help you in any way, uh, whether it's sharing the gospel with you or just having a further conversation about what grief looks like, we, we want to walk through this together with you and we don't say these things to shame anyone who's struggling with grief it's such a sensitive topic we know we say these things because we love you and we want you to be comforted by these words we are commanded to comfort you in this way and that is what our desire is church family we love you uh, we're here for you we look forward to seeing you uh, and hope to hear from you soon um, god bless you have a wonderful wonderful lord's day